It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, September 20th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, state and local officials continue efforts to revive customer traffic to Jackson restaurants following the end of the boil water order. Then a Mississippi immigrant rights advocate responds to recent relocation efforts in other states. Plus, a new art exhibit provides insight into the home life of artist Walter Anderson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The drive to help Jackson eateries following a nearly two-month-long boil water notice continues. Restaurants in the capital city have taken a hit to their bottom line due to increased costs and a drop in customer traffic. Two weeks ago, before the notice was lifted, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman spent a Friday evening highlighting the challenges restaurant owners are facing. Yesterday, Secretary of State Michael Watson followed suit, inviting other state and local officials, as well as metro area residents, to join him on a five-stop tour. This one included a visit to an iconic Jackson Burger joint. Stamp Super Burgers on Dalton Street has been serving customers since 1970, first as a grocery and meat market, then as a counter service eatery. Phil Stamps Jr. is operations manager at the family's restaurant. He tells our Kobe Vance he's had to adjust to the water crisis induced dip in business. We've been maintaining. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of challenges that. Uh, we've experienced, but, you know, really the entire city of Jackson. Uh, but uh, we have leaned on the support from the community. Uh, we've had uh, a lot of community leaders volunteer water, bring water that we've been able to take advantage of. And uh, I- I've been mentioning to folks, you know, this is a resilient city. Um, and we've got officials and leaders working tirelessly to get the, the issue resolved. So, you know, we're, we're rolling with the challenges, rolling with the punches. What has kept y'all going throughout this? You know, how do y'all... Have you all had to change up your operations any to maintain business? Yeah, for sure. So not to go into dramatic detail, but we've had to shift. We've had to pivot. We've had to adjust, right? Uh, And, again, we've leaned on the community leaders that have been able to provide bottles of water, uh, and we've been able to utilize those. But to answer your question, absolutely. We've had to adjust. We've had to shift. 
Um, you know, we experienced a loss in revenue for a period of time, but, you know, uh, that's not specific to Stamp Superburgers. Everyone has experienced that. So uh, we've been maintaining and uh, adjusting. Oil notice was low. The oil notice was finally lifted late last week. Have y'all seen a little bit? Of, have y'all seen an increase in business uh, since then? We've seen a little bit more traffic. Uh, uh, I think not only here in, in West Jackson, but you know Jackson altogether. Plus, you know the really big game, Grambling versus Jackson State, this past weekend that brought in a, a little bit more energy and excitement. So we, we've been seeing some of that traffic. Uh, I wanted to, you know, looking forward, is there any? What would be your message to people who are, have concerns about the water quality and if it might affect their dining experiences at restaurants in Jackson? Yeah, um, I would tell folks to, um, I would tell folks to have faith in the in the process, uh, have faith in the city officials, the city leaders, uh, and have faith that we're all doing everything in our power to provide the safe, the safest. Um, dining experience, um, and, and that's our priority here at Stam Superburgers as well. I guess you know, for people who might not be familiar with the restaurant, can you tell us a little about you know, y'all's history? Yeah, absolutely. So we were founded in, in 1970 by my grandfather Algernon Stamps uh, Senior. He purchased this building and maintained it as a grocery and meat market for a while. And uh, by 1986, officially started selling uh, burgers. So uh, we've been doing this for a while, and we pride ourselves in providing one of the highest quality burgers that you can get. Uh, we're typically voted best burger in Jackson, and we've even received some recognition for having the best burger in the state of Mississippi. So uh, we know that our customers have high expectations for us, uh, and we look to meet and exceed those expectations all the time. And we're only a stone's throw away from JSU. 110%, man, which is great because we, we love seeing Jackson State students come in. We've had a relationship with Jackson State students for a while now, and uh, we, we pride ourselves in, in uh, feeding the, the athletes over there. So the football players come in, um, basketball players come in. So it, it's great to, to visit with them and to fellowship with them when they come in. Phil Stamps, Jr.'s operations manager at Stamps Super Burgers. Lawmakers representing Jackson have been a steady presence on the recent restaurant tours. Democratic Senator Hillman Frazier of Hines County says the Jackson delegation will be pushing for infrastructure improvement projects this upcoming legislative session. We have to remember that they did struggle during this crisis. We have to support them all we can. Uh, they provide a very valuable service in terms of their food to serve, but also they provide job opportunities. If we don't support them, they're going to have to uh, let go some people. So it's very good to support them in the venture, what they're doing. So Johnny T's, uh, Stamps Burger, and uh, Bravo's, uh, all of them have to be supported by the folks uh, in the metro area. What are your thoughts on you know, making sure that the support is spread across not just white-owned businesses, but also black-owned businesses, especially in a city like Jackson, which is 80% black? Right, that's very important because a lot of them struggle. They uh, live from paycheck to paycheck, and they depend on that uh, flow of business to keep them operating. So it's very important that we send the message it's very safe to eat out again, the food is health, and they provide very good services. So that's why we support them going forward, making sure that they know that they have our support from government and also they have support from the community. Because once they see us here, they know that everything is clear in terms of coming and supporting them. Do you think the legislative body from Jackson is going to be raising another alarm this year uh, going into the legislative session about the importance of getting funding to Jackson for water infrastructure? 
that's an ongoing concern. We have to make sure that we give them the resources they need. But it's very important that all folks come to the table working together. We need our federal partners, our state partners, and also the business community to come together uh, supporting this effort. We have a short-term fix right now. We're working a long-term fix so our people won't suffer uh, this trade again. Anything else you'd like to share with Mississippians who might be outside of the Jackson area looking in and you know, curious how they can support the city and the residents who live here? Well, I'd like to tell them that Jackson, Mississippi is open for business. They're welcome to come here. We appreciate their visit. And once they come here, they find out that we're the most hospitable state in the nation. Just days after the citywide boil water notice was lifted, a class action lawsuit has been filed against the city of Jackson and current and former public officials over what lawyers and plaintiffs say has been decades of neglect and mismanagement of the public water supply. The lawsuit includes claims the water quality was poor even before pump failures at the O.B. Curtis water treatment plant. Coming up, a Mississippi Immigrant Rights Alliance or rather advocate, responds to recent relocation efforts in other states. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Discover everything MPB Think and MPB Music Radio have to offer with just the sound of your own voice. Ask for the one you want by name. For news, great storytelling, humor, games, and more, say smart speaker, play MPB Think Radio. For musical selections, ranging from a dozen genres from classical to bluegrass, jazz to adult alternative, say smart speaker, play MPB Music Radio. Tuning in is easier than ever. Just ask for the one you want by name. Say smart speaker, play MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A little over three years ago, in August of 2019, Central Mississippi was rocked by a series of raids on chicken processing plants by Immigration and Customs Enforcement. It resulted in the detainment of hundreds of undocumented workers, leaving families and communities fractured. Those events led to the formation of the Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity, founder Lorena Quiros talks to our Rhonda Dunaway, reflecting on the raids and responding to more recent government-authorized acts on immigrant communities. We continue to work with the leaders that we trained over three years ago. We trained them on, you know, on building community meetings, community agendas. They have been working with us these past three years um, and the Department of Labor um, because with the organizing work, and in conjunction with the Department of Labor, we were able to um, get over $300,000 in wages back. Um, we have traveled with leaders in, to DC, Washington, D.C., uh, to speak to members of, um, of um, well, we've, we've had meetings with the Department of Homeland Security. So we've been doing a lot of work with, with the folks that were affected uh, by the raids. Um, about six weeks ago, um, Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh uh, came to our building to meet with um, five community members that were affected by the raids, and then we had about 150 community members from Morton, Forest, and Canton here uh, to, to greet with him, to greet him. I actually have a picture of him. I'm looking at it right now, surrounded by community members. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, that's wonderful. Um, so. 
Um, what is the next move for you guys uh, with those families? Are are they have uh, were certain family members were deported, or y'all working to get these um, people reunited? Uh, many many people were deported. Um, some people were deported deported prior to COVID. Some people were deported during COVID. Um, during COVID, we had people that um, were released that were over 50. So we actually worked in conjunction with national organizations uh, to create campaigns to free the 50 and over uh, folks. Um, but the folks that were deported uh, encountered a lot of persecution in their countries, um, particularly like in small places in Guatemala, small towns, and they tried to come back. Some were successful. Um, you may be familiar with the deaths of um, several uh, individuals that try to come back. Um, in 2020, I believe, and one of the one of the people that perished during that time was one of the folks um, that was detained over a year after he was detained by ICE. Uh, and so, with this. We're working with um, a national day labor um, organizing network, and and this is why we've been engaging with the Department of Labor, um, because we're asking for people to have deferred action. Um, what we want is uh, for the folks that were affected by the raid, and then uh, undocumented people, to have a way to be protected in case or when they experience abuse uh, at their place of work. Um, many people in the chicken plant, in the field, uh, are abused. Their wages are stolen. And so uh, they feel afraid to report these losses. And uh, we are working with the, with the Department of Labor to provide uh, protection uh, when they do um, reach out for help in, in facing these abuses. So that's what we've been working on for the last couple of years with folks affected by the AIDS. So that brings me to uh, uh, my next question, which is uh, just getting uh, sort of your take on what uh, Governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, uh, recently did. What do you say to um, people who defend who defend um, an action like that, uh, an action like Governor Ron DeSantis? I mean, there the United States uh, was was created was based on the notion that they're welcoming to to immigrants. Um, seeking refuge is legal, as you said. A lot of the people were from Venezuela. They're escaping, and people that are uh, fleeing areas where they're starving or they're being abused. They're fleeing to this country to seek refuge, with, which is written right on the base of the Statue of Liberty, right? And so folks are coming so that they can provide um, a livelihood for their children, for themselves. And I think it's completely inhumane uh, that they would support or applaud the actions of this man, you know, who it, who it is. It is a political stunt. You know, he wants to get the attention of, of people. And the way that he just lied to them and deceived them and they found themselves stranded, 
I just cannot understand how someone can be so so cruel and then have people applauding this this act, you know, of, of cruelty. How are um, immigrants in Jackson, Mississippi, are you doing any work with folks, immigrants who are, are dealing with the water crisis? Uh, what part does the um, Immigrant Alliance play in that? So um, two years ago when our our state froze over, right, uh, and we were getting the attention for Texas and the grid, and we were also without water. Um, and so from then, we, we formed, and this is my uh, our organization along with others, a coalition that was um, being able to support with water distribution and other necessities. At that time, we worked with uh, what we call promotoras or community health workers. So we have hubs of leaders uh, that distributed water, that distributed, um, we had gas stoves at the time for people who, who lost power. Um, and so that never stopped with us. So when this happened again, we were watching uh, to see, you know, the flooding. And uh, we were able to actually, and we're still supporting about five, seven families that lost everything due to the flooding. Uh, and and we had been working on fundraising and being able to have water. So when this happened, when people lost pressure, we had been already working on donations and had been distributing water on a smaller scale. Scale. Uh, once everything you know became public, we set up six distribution sites. We are one of the uh, original six distribution sites before. We got national attention, attention before NEMA and NEMA were involved. Um, the flyers that were now with the Mississippi Response Coalition, IAJE, was a distribution site. We're at 406 West Fortification. We opened our doors for the community of West Jackson, uh, not just the Latino and immigrant community, but also for the black community. And we mm-hmm. have been distributing water ever since. Lorena Quiros is the director of the Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity. Coming up, a new art exhibit provides insight into the home life of artist Walter Anderson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A former home of famed visual artist Walter Anderson is part of a new exhibit by the museum that bears his name. Return to Old Fields explores the artistic, ecological, and cultural significance of the historic Lewis House in Gaucher, where Walter Anderson famously lived and worked during the 1940s. The exhibition weaves together archival materials and architectural history with Walter Anderson artwork, such as watercolors, wood sculpture, ceramics, and block prints. Walter Anderson is arguably one of Mississippi's most iconic visual artists. But what is it about Walter Anderson that makes him stand out among among the others. Well, Julian Rankin, director of the Walter Anderson Museum of Art, tells that to our Michael Guidry. 
certainly the most enigmatic and mythic, I think, of our visual artists. And so we preserved his legacy, which is all about nature, creativity, innovation. But we also pair that with exhibitions, outreach programs that converse and engage with the present moment. So that's other artists, other initiatives, um, conservation and marine wildlife. So we try to be interdisciplinary because that's what Walter Anderson was. He was a cosmic thinker who saw connections and everything. And that brings us to this new uh, exhibit, uh, Return to Old Fields. Uh, What are the old fields? How are they related to Walter Anderson? And what is this exhibit all about? Right. Well, Old Fields, um, a name that some would not have heard, um, certainly on the coast people have. It's actually the name of an old antebellum home um, sat in uh, on a property that was thousands and thousands of acres of virgin longleaf pine back in the um, early 20th century and certainly in the 1940s when Walter Anderson lived and worked there. So Oldfield was owned by his, his wife's father, so his in-laws, and it was really the place where Walter Anderson came to know himself. It was after this period of institutionalization for mental illness. It was where he carved his block print. It's where he started leaving from the shore that Oldfield sits on, Two Horn Island. And so from this period of the 1940s, he really became the visionary artist that we know him as today. And so this exhibition explores really the concept of the Southern home and creativity and culture through the lens of Oldfield, which is for the benefit of Mississippi been recently purchased by the Mississippi Heritage Trust and is being restored and brought back to its um, full glory, which is very important culturally speaking, because it was on the brink of disaster after Hurricane Katrina and other other disasters. So it's really a creative um, exploration, both of the artist time there, but really of the history of the land, the history of the house, and the history of the southern home and what that means for all of us. You said that this was the place he came after he was institutionalized for for mental illness. And as you brought up, I mean, uh, anyone familiar with, with Walter Anderson and his work uh, know how, how intimately he was, was connected to Horn Island. You are quoted uh, as talking about how this exhibit, including the old fields, is an examination of home. And you've talked about how the old fields itself is kind of, you know, an examination of, of a southern home. How are connecting these things together uh, in the celebration and recognition of Walter Anderson's work uh, an important part of what the museum's doing? Right. Well, what you're talking about is this paradox that Anderson has uh, tenfold in all of his biography and and life's work, you think about the, you know, what is the home? He, he wasn't necessarily someone who was, you know, overly sentimental or bound by the four walls of a house, right? Um, so, of course, he did work there, and, and he, he came to know his family in a way that he hadn't before during that time period. But it really was less about the physical structure, or I should say it was not entirely about the physical structure. It was about belonging, you know, finding himself again, and that's what he did in nature. So, you know, he could at, and one night be in old fields in a typical uh, bed. Uh, he might be the next week underneath his upturned boat on Horn Island there for weeks with the animals and, and the wilderness. So th- I think that's really the message there is that wherever we create our homes, that's where home is, you know, and that may be an expatriate from the South who still feels Southern, or it may be, you know, just the, the family atmosphere of any place that can be made into a home. And so those are some of the themes we're exploring And I would say that's one of the core themes of Anderson's work is for us all to realize how beautiful, how magical 
um, how much possibility is around us in our in our landscapes, in our homes, so that we can come to know them better. And one final thing, you talk about themes, and I know a part of um, what the museum's done uh, currently does is certainly done in the past uh, because I think it is embodied in, in Walter Anderson is this connection between science and art. Uh, what is it about what Walter Anderson or what is it about who Walter Anderson was as a man, as a person, as an artist, um, as a as a scientist um, and his work? Tell us about how important the intersection between art and science and conservation are. Yeah, well, it was everything for Anderson to feel in touch with nature, not just as an observer, but a participant. And so he, when he was on Horn Island, for example, would see animals that had died, whether those be pelicans who had experienced pesticides, DDT that weakened their eggs, the the scourge of of ospreys and pelicans during the 50s, for example, that he witnessed. Or it could be that, you know, hurricanes, the aftermath of storms, he was there to see it and to pick up things. Um, He was really a beachcomber, as his wife said of him. And that was part of his charm. He was a citizen scientist. He, he, he was a naturalist, but he wasn't um, strictly depicting these things for scientific purposes. He was understanding how they fit into the ecology and then taking them somewhere else through his visionary style. So I think when we think about programs that we do with science, it's incredibly important for students to understand that it's about the agency. We can all be scientists. We can all understand the world around us. and We can all participate in preserving them and, and helping to make our communities better. Well, Julian Rankin, director of the Walter Anderson Museum of Art in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, uh, new exhibit, Return to Old Fields, now open through the through August of 2023. Julian, thank you so much for taking some time to share, uh, share information about this new exhibit with us. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.